Welcome to the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. Every week we discuss a movie and then one of us suggests the next movie for us to watch and discuss. All the movies are available from the major streaming services so that you can participate with us. I'm your host, Dale Maxfield. I am joined this week by Alicia Walker. Hello. Christine Deacon. Hi. Josh Dean. Hi there. And Nathan McKinney. Hi. And today's movie is... Nathan's suggestion, Julieta. After a casual encounter, a broken-hearted woman decides to confront her life and the most important events about her stranded daughter. But first, we're going to talk about some things we've been watching lately. Uh, Nathan, let's start with you. What have you been watching lately? Well, uh, so we um, ate the entire whale of uh, Friends episodes, and so we've been kind of chunking our way through some stuff that we've been missing a little bit. Uh, so we've watched Ted Lasso, blah, blah, blah. Uh, w- one of the ones we started was uh, Only Murders in the Building. I don't know if you guys have talked about that one yet. Um, no. You know, I, I've i seen uh, Steve Martin and... Uh, uh, Martin 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 Short Short, Short. thank you uh, I knew it was two Martins I had to spit the other one out in my head uh, Martin Short uh, live when they played here at the Starlight and then they turn around and they they did a TV special which was pretty much the exact same jokes as the one I saw so it was kind of like eh. and I was a little worried about this show being kind of that same chemistry just kind of regurgitated with a, a plot uh, and I'm pleasantly surprised that it's not. It's 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 pretty fun to watch them actually act, which has been a while since I've seen Steve Martin do that. Um, I don't know if I've ever seen Martin Short do that. He just plays himself or one of his weird characters. Martin uh, Short's actually played a couple of dramatic roles, and he's really, really good when he does it. Well, that's good. I mean, he he's playing somebody very close to his normal type character, but it's, it's played in real you know, with a real undertone of just not fakeness. Uh, whatever. Yeah. I would I'm compare that out. Right. But <laughs> I would compare how I see him in, uh, how, I, how I've seen him in some other movies as when Bob Odenkirk first showed up on better call Saul or on uh, breaking bad, where it was like, it's obviously a, a, a comic relief character. Yeah. Right. Like he's doing a bit, but there's a lot more subtlety and nuance to this guy than that. And so like, yeah, it's funny. He's wearing loud clothes cause it's the seventies and he's, you know, this kind of sleazeball character. Um, but yeah, I have, I have seen him act before and it's pretty common that comedians can do drama pretty well. Yeah. So he, you know, he's got some things to kind of chew on and with this, like he's a kind of a, a guy that's a tenant in the building that all the murders happen in apparently. Um, and he's kind of running out of money cause he's an old Broadway producer that's washed up. And so he has to deal with that fact with his son trying to get him to move out, blah, blah, blah. So, um, he's got some things to work with here. Steve Martin's character is pretty much a typical Steve Martin character, but it's good. Um, and then I think it's Selena Gomez is the the third of the the trio, and she fits in great. Actually, it, it, she kind of grounds the two of them quite a bit, which makes the whole yeah. thing work. So I'm enjoying it quite a bit. We're only about halfway through the series, but enough to that I can say it's worth checking out. Okay, that sounds good. Uh, Alicia, how about you? 
Uh, I gave a series a try on Apple TV Plus. That's this new streaming service, Dale, that Apple owns. Mm-hmm. And they have a show called Physical. And it's Rose Byrne, and it's set in the 80s. And it's right as the aerobics craze is picking up. And so the the main plot line has to do with her getting absorbed into this aerobics home video world. But um, there's a lot of other stuff surrounding it with uh, her husband, who's, you know, especially by today's standards, maybe not what a lot of women would want to think is maybe their ideal match uh, with some of his ideas. And he's running for public office. And so you've got kind of that whole world and her kind of trying to make her way in a man's world. But you've also got what's kind of interesting and different about it is you've got this whole sub well, it's basically her conscious thoughts of what is happening, and most of it is all coming down on herself. So while you're hearing the dialogue between characters, you're also hearing her inner thoughts, which are mostly talking about herself and her weight, and she calls herself a fat cow, and this and that. You know, it's Rose Byrne. But she's obviously got some psychological issues with her weight and is bulimic and stuff like that. And so you're hearing all of her, you know, it's not subtext. I mean, it's her inner thoughts on the scene and what's happening, what she thinks about everybody. And then, of course, then immediately hearing then her real response of what she says to people. So it's kind of interesting. And um, I can't say it's necessarily... Uh, super groundbreaking in a lot of ways, but I th- I think it's it is kind of different how they've put a lot of elements I've seen in some other shows together into this, and then of course you've got all the '80s nostalgia kind of happening with it too. And so she reacts, she reacts in the scene, and then she has a voiceover in her head that says what she really her, thinks. Her voiceover in her head is before she reacts. So like okay. someone will say something to her. Like, you know, oh, you know, are you going shopping for a new dress? And she might say something like, like, I could fit in a new dress. I'm such a big fat cow. And then she would say, oh, no, not today. You know, I'm running to go pick up the kids and, you know, stuff like that. So it doesn't go to the Kevin can fuck himself level. Right, 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 right. It's not like an after thing as much. But but yeah, so it's interesting. And, uh, you know, with just that time period of the Jane Fonda workout and all that kind of stuff happening and seeing what's going on. And, you know, I think it's not a coincidence it's coming out around the time of Me Too movement. And you're seeing a lot of uh, how the male characters are treating the female characters in it and stuff like that. It's Yeah, it's good. I would recommend it. May I ask uh, Rory Scoville, who does he play in that show? I don't know if I could tell you exactly who that is. I might need okay. a refresher. He's got a beard. Uh, he's he might, got, might be the husband, maybe. He's in all does, the commercials. Yeah, might be the husband. There's another character who's kind of distinctive looking. I know I've seen other things and I haven't looked it up. And he plays a campaign manager okay. for the husband. So that could be it. I'd have to check on that later. Okay. Yeah, I uh, I may have to watch that one. And I may have to feel bad for not giving Apple money for that one. Um, more more bad for not giving Rose Byrne money for that one, but they already paid her. And it's Apple. You know? Take yeah, that. Yeah. Ooh. Bastards. Low blow. Can't copy shit off my iPad. My iPod. Asshole. Zune. Um, okay. No one here is arguing for Zune. And this isn't there isn't a a this isn't a Microsoft versus Apple stand. This is a PC versus yes. Mac yes. stand. Right. Yeah. So, um, Christine, what have you been watching? 
Okay, so uh, we have watched nine horror movies over the weekend, uh, and one of them I wanted to talk about uh, was The Power on uh, Shudder, and it is about a nurse who is working her first shift at a hospital in London during uh, the 1974, uh, they're uh, doing the power cuts at night, um, and then uh, she is dealing with that and she has a fear of the dark after something traumatic in her past and uh, she is uh, made to stay on late during the power cut at night and I don't want to give anything away because it's a really good movie um, but I didn't feel like it was as much of a horror film to me it was very cathartic for me, um, and the ending was just just a very cathartic release for me, is all I'm going to say, because I feel like you would really like this movie, Dale. Uh, okay. It's on Shudder, so I think you should check it out. It's called yeah, The Power. it pa- sounds good. Yeah, it's called I was just going to ask yeah. if uh, Jamie Foxx shows up and turns into an electric supervillain. No, he does not. Okay, that's good. That didn't work in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. No. Josh, what have you been watching lately? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, uh, as we previously discussed, I've watched nine horror movies this weekend, and uh, one of them was Saint Maud is the name of it. It's an A24 movie, and it is just a good movie, period. Uh, I would recommend it just on the fact that it's a, a great movie. Um, Where'd you find it? Uh, Hulu. It's on Hulu. And... Um, the uh, the premise is that there's a, a palliative care nurse, I, I think I'm saying that right, uh, who is uh, looking after a woman who is dying of cancer. And this nurse has recently had a religious conversion and is just hell-bent, so to speak, on getting this woman saved. Um, but she's got a few, the nurse has a few mental issues to deal with, and uh, things go pretty badly by the end of the movie. Um, but it's a slow burn. It's a real slow burn. If you're looking for like shock horror or gore horror, you're going to be a little disappointed. Um, but I think fans of, uh, deliberately paced, uh, psychological horror would really enjoy it. Yeah. I bet, uh, Zach and Aaron would be into this one. Yeah. What I've seen. Cool. Well, I watched, Lots and lots of house. Um, just a metric shit ton of house. Um, I'm trying. I'm trying real hard to think if I've actually seen anything <laughs> that I want to talk about on here. Is uh, this going to be like 90 Day Fiance, where it's just I watch more house? No, I'm not going to do that. Um, Better than saying you watch Grey's Anatomy, I think. Well, I talked about SWAT two episodes in a row, and then we ended up losing the first episode that I talked about SWAT in, so it worked out in my favor uh, there. But uh, but no, I don't I don't assume that we're gonna uh, lose one of these episodes, and and that I really want to spend it talking about House anymore. Um, 
show at this point. So what you ought to do is like the last episode you recommended it. This time, just totally pan it. There's a lot about house that doesn't work. Um, <laughs> there is. Um, yeah, sure. I'll do that. Um, so what to skip on house or how, how to skip on house. Um, the first three seasons are completely, completely redundant. It is the same plot over and over again. Um, I think it's worth watching a couple episodes at the beginning and end of each season because that's when like real character stuff happens. Everything else is just kind of patient of the week. With the exception of David Morse's recurring character on season three, who's like the first serious threat to House that they introduce, and that's a really interesting story. And then season four is where I think it hits its peak, which is where he ends up with no team at the beginning of the season. And he has a survivor style reality show to decide who's going to end up on his team. And he starts with 40 people and gets to the point where he's eliminating one of them every week. And it's a really fun concept that is executed in a fun way. And uh, a lot of the characters from that are really good. Um, So, and then, yeah, I think, uh, I don't know. I, it's, it's tough to say whether uh, the second to last episode of the series or the last episode of season four is Robert Sean Leonard's best performance on the show. Um, the one where he gives the most range. Um, the, the finale one is not nearly as sad as the other one. So that may kind of tip in its favor, but it's more serious. Um, so I don't know. It's hard to say on those. Um, I hated the finale the first time I saw it. And I like it better now on rewatch because I just sort of tune out for the all the ridiculous, like, we had to come up with an excuse to have characters come back, including dead characters. So we're going to do a Christmas carol for the first half of the episode. Like the ghosts are going to talk house out of, out of killing himself. That's the first half of the finale. You're like, guys, come on, what are you doing? But it does get better. Uh, And then there is the absolute worst episode. The Nadir of house is the episode right after, uh, Right after he breaks up with Cuddy in season five, which minor spoilers for House, they don't stay together. They they do actually get together at some point, but they don't stay together. Um, they do like a whole episode where it's interspersed with Cuddy's fever dreams all being set to musical numbers. And it is God awful. Um, They keep using the song, come on, get happy, all your troubles and cares away. And then they do like that with like a minor variant of it. And Hugh Laurie is like dancing around like he's in Barnum or something. Or he's in like the greatest showmaster movie. Um, That's awful. 
don't do that to yourself. Um, certainly not more than once. Um, skip that one again this time through. So, but yeah, house sucks. So, (laughs) 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 or whatever, like it makes me happy. I don't care. Um, it drives Hannah insane because it's medicine and most of what's happening is completely insane on there. Uh, but our movie this week was Julieta, suggested by Nathan. Um, I hadn't seen it before. Neither had pretty much everyone except for Nathan and Alicia. So, Josh, yeah, I'm going to start. She hadn't seen it either. Alicia hadn't seen it before either. Uh, so only Nathan had seen this movie before. Um, I'm going to start with Josh. What did you think? Okay. So, um, I've got to say up front, I was not in the right headspace for this movie. Um, I was already locked into horror mode for the weekend when it, when this came around. So, uh, it, it did it not, not turning into a horror movie was a bummer for you a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I was really waiting. It was thinking about it. I was hoping the, the boyfriend would come back from the dead or the husband would come back from the ocean just as a monster maybe, but no, it never happened. Uh, so, Objectively speaking, it is a really well-made movie, and I recognize that fact. Um, the visual motifs are stunning. The colors pop. Uh, the acting is great. There's some really the the transition scene. I think is really great, where the uh, actresses switch from old to young or young to old. Um, the uh, I, I I read a few reviews that called it Hitchcockian, and I missed that the, when I saw it. Um, but I guess because there's a mystery at the center of it of like who this daughter is and what she why she left, that's kind of the the Hitchcock part of it. Um, so it didn't affect me emotionally like it probably should have. I think if I were watching it with a more open mind and in a better frame of mind. Um, but like I said, I, I think it is a good movie. It just didn't work for me at that moment. Right on. Yeah. Christine, how about you? Yes. Uh, I agree that I was in the same boat as Josh and like boat, of course, is on the After your weekend of uh, horror uh, movies. Yeah. Uh, it was right before we started watching the horror movies. Actually, we, made time for this first um and then we started watching the horror um so uh but i did uh catch on to like uh that i liked the motifs of the sea i would have liked to see uh how she connected to the ocean more personally than just through her husband uh because it seemed like she was talking about the ocean a lot in her class that she was teaching. And she had this deep love for the sea. But when she went to meet him at his house for the first time, it seemed like the first time she had ever really seen the ocean. And I, I really was interested in how maybe she had thought about the ocean beforehand. Um, and then I really, 
I uh, liked how the daughter just the whole time was a mystery and we never like got any tie at the end of that. I liked how it was still a mystery and the and Julietta even said like she's not gonna ask her about it. She's just gonna be there for her. I think yeah. that was good. Um and I like how the color red kept popping up. Like it was there from the very beginning. It was there throughout the whole thing. Um just that that whole thing was good too. Uh and then I liked uh how the she got the letter from Jean uh, at the beginning uh, to come and see him. And then the letter from her daughter was almost like the exact same. Even though she, her daughter never had read that letter either. So I was like, okay, there, she, her daughter is a lot like her father, even though she doesn't really, didn't really know him that well. And she's going to be the same way. So I, I enjoyed it. Uh, thought it was good. Okay. Alicia, how about you? Uh, I agree with a lot that uh, Josh and Christine said. I was not about to binge a bunch of horror movies and did not have that mindset. But I think in some ways, uh, for me, it, it's such a well-built movie. And as Christine went into more detail with, you know, with just that classroom snippet there of her talking about, uh, you know, the Odyssey and which use of the word the sea, you know, and how this was very important because it was more of a journey and the road. I mean, it's, everything is so well connected with everything, which I love about his films in general for so many of them is they're, they're really well crafted. But I just, it just never totally grabbed me. And I don't know if I can put my finger on exactly what it is because it is so well made and so much attention to detail and all kinds of things. But I just was not... Uh, there was that mystery of what happened with the daughter and I wanted to know what happened to the daughter, but I, I didn't get invested enough in it, I guess. I just, it's like I casually wanted to know what happened. Oh, I'm not going to find out. Oh, okay. I mean, that's all right. I think, I think I'll be okay not knowing. Like it just, I don't, I don't know if I could really put my finger on it or put it into words exactly what it is missing for me, but it's missing something that I feel like I get a lot more of in a lot of his other movies that have really grabbed me. Uh, you know, most recently Pain and Glory that, that he directed, I really enjoyed. Um, so yeah, I, I liked it, but I, it's just, it wasn't quite all the way there. And maybe that would be something if I watch it again in the future would, you know, because of looking for those details, maybe I would get more into it, but just liked it, but didn't love it. Okay. Well, I think, um, this is kind of like, in a lot of ways, there's a lot of similarities and a lot of differences between this movie and the last one we watched. Uh, which was uh, The Killing, in that it's hard to follow um, because the plot seems to be setting up things and not going with them and, and then setting up more things and not really going with them. Um, so like half the mystery of the movie is what is the movie? What it, What is this about? What's the, the theme of this? What are we trying to express with this? Um, and I didn't get there until the end. And I don't think that, I think that's by design. I, I think it's, it's supposed to only dawn on you at the end of the movie that the movie's about grief. They've taken everything else out 
of this story. It's just about this woman's grief. A lot of the stuff that they talk with that you guys were talking about, um, and Alicia brought up the the thing about her talking about uh, the different words for the sea. Um, she has a Greek tragedies book when she's on the train with with the lover guy. So like, there's all of these little things planted in there that that are keeping you connected to it. Um, for a while, I was having trouble keeping track of which man was sleeping with which man was having an affair in her life. Was it her dad or was it her husband or was it like, yes, there. Yeah. So there's, there's lots of affairs going on, which makes sense in a Spanish movie set in Spain. Um, Would not have made a whole lot of sense and probably would have been, a complete disaster if they had made this movie the way they originally intended to make it, which was to shoot it in Canada with Meryl Streep as the lead. I I think that a lot of those sort of thematic things would have fallen apart. And that's the reason why the director didn't end up doing it was because he was like, I don't feel comfortable shooting in a country I'm not familiar with in a language. I'm not that familiar with to, to make this story work. I think I need to do it in Spain in Spanish. And I, I think that it proved him right. Um, it's also an interesting thing of if you told someone what this movie is actually about, they probably wouldn't want to watch it. Right. Do you want to sit down and watch a hundred minute movie about grief about, a, about a woman just, hurting inside because she lost her daughter. Cause that's this movie. Um, it's whatever the, the Spanish equivalent of, uh, 23 South Brazil's voodoo de la var, whatever that crazy, uh, John Dealman, John Dealman. Well, I was going with the rest of the title. I didn't say John Dealman. It's like, would it be like, wanna, Dieto or something. Uh, but uh, I, I, no, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm glad that it came together for me and I'm glad that I stuck with it. I, I agree with you guys too, that like there were a lot of times where I was sort of like starting to lose interest in it and then something would happen and pick it back up. Um, I definitely fell into the, you know, Oh, is this going to turn out to be about a cult? That would be lame. Like we're two thirds of the way through the movie and we're introducing this cult as some sort of sinister thing that's happening. And, and then the, the friend confirms that the cult made her weird and there's just all this stuff. And then it's like, no, all that matters is the two of them literally went through the same horrible thing. They lost a child and now they can reconnect over that. And the rest of it's not important. So, that's my review. Um, so what the hell, Nathan? Why did we watch Julieta? Well, I got to say, watching this um, at home on even a giant video screen that we have here at home, it made me really miss um, watching movies in a theater because this is one of those movies that kind of wants your attention, especially because it's subtitled. Um, but in general, it's it's one of those that is better without the distractions of life. Um 
I loved this movie when I saw it in the theater, and that's why I brought it to the, the group. Um, watching it on even a slightly smaller screen, um, it, it loses something, I think. And I, 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 I was having a hard time pinning it down. We, we watched it as a group with like four of us in the room, and I think we were all kind of reacting to the same thing, which was on a smaller screen, it felt a little bit more like a, a soap opera or a telenovela or something like that. And I think the music in particular really undercuts the the powerfulness of all the performances and everything because it, 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 it adds almost like a cheesy factor that shouldn't have been there. Um, Cause it's a, mm. it's a dead serious movie, what it's trying to be. Um, and so some of that kind of got killed by that on the second viewing for me, but I, I agree with you. I, it is pretty much about grief. And I think the point of some of the affairs that is going on is also to teach us a little bit about grief, which is um, so her, she is technically, you know, she has this child with this man on the train who is technically cheating on his dying wife. She doesn't discover that till later, but she's basically dead to the world and he's just kind of stuck with her until she officially passes so he's already passed his grief for that one and in much the same way that her father is kind of in the same position because uh, his wife though he loves her it's very obvious that he does um, her father's moved on and is ready for young love again and uh, is making out with the making it go with the the gal that's supposed to be taking care of the the mom so there's that. Um, I, you know, I love the two performances by the two um, women who are um, creating this character, both young and old. Um, I think the casting is pretty seamless between the two of them. Um, there are times when I'm like, they do the switcheroo scene, but unless you're really watching, honestly, you could kind of miss it because it's so well done. Um, she's basically what's happening is she's having her hair washed and they put the towel around her head and then pull the towel away and it's the other actress, um, which I just, the, today when I looked at the video cassette, or not video cassette, our Blu-ray, um, <laughs> that's the picture on the screen is the two actresses, one's washing the other one's head. And I was like, oh, they're, they're making the switch through scene. I didn't catch that till just now. Uh, but I, I think the two actresses really bring a lot to it. Um, I like the ending. I like that it's about her dealing with this situation and not about her reunion with this um, uh, daughter that she has been estranged from. And none of you brought up my favorite character, which is the mom. The mom of the guy, uh, Zoan. No, the housekeeper. Is she just a housekeeper? Yes. But she's great. In Mariana, every scene she's in, Mariana she's in. She, like that. She's. I. I think she's one of uh, Aldemar's. I'm not going to say his name right. So just shoot me now. Um, his like usual toolkit of actors and actresses that he brings to a lot of his film. He he obviously likes the same people for a lot of his roles. Uh, so she she's in some of his earlier movies as well. But I think she's just she kind of makes all every scene that she's in just work a little bit better because she's in it. Well, and I had a tough time, just like with the killing when we talked about George the Animal Steel, I kept thinking she resembled the Wicked Witch of the West. So every time she would come on screen, I'd be like, and then at the end, like she was hopping onto her bike and pedaling away and all this kind of stuff. So I was having trouble with that. And I kind of thought the older Julieta reminded me a lot of Maura Tierney. 
So I kept getting like flashes, like it was more oh, tyranny yeah. as I was watching. Yeah. See, I thought I thought the the maid mom slash maid, whatever she is, uh, I thought she reminded me a lot of Cher, like the rundown Cher in Moonstruck, like, uh, right before she gets all pretty. Um, that's what <laughs> that's that's what she reminded me of, like all the gray hair, just like. Uh, you know, but uh, I'll get you my pretty was going yeah. in my head. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she did have the Wicked Witch of the West look to her. Um, Margaret Hamilton look to her. Yeah, and I was kind of expecting her to kind of come back as more involved with the whole disappearance of the daughter, honestly. But that's the that's the never ending mystery of what yeah. is this movie about? Yeah. And I and I like that it doesn't get into that. It's it's really focused in on her dealing with it. Um, so it, yeah, it's just her information and it's, Mm -hmm. you know, a a more developed, I don't know if you want to say like three dimensional story that just kind of tells this as a chronological thing and doesn't hide it behind a bunch of, uh, you know, weird subterfuge and, and, and this weird concentration on just showing you what grief is like, uh, could be accused of um, the whole thing being this farcical, like one misunderstanding leads to another misunderstanding. It's like if this person just had the information 20 minutes earlier in the movie, there wouldn't be a movie. Yeah. And that keeps happening and keeps happening. You know, like they, they use the Mariana to do that twice. The cult comes back twice, you know, yeah. as a, as a potential threat. Um, but I think it, it works here because like you're engaged for the first act to see what's going to go wrong between this mother and daughter. And then you're like, wait a minute, what's the deal with, with this guy and the, the housekeeper's trying to tell her something and the housekeeper's trying to tell her something. And then it's a, a cult. Oh crap. Did she not realized that her daughter was in a cult until now. So, yeah. Well, and we, we were kind of talking about it after. There's a couple of things I'll bring up, too. There's, it's subtexted, but the, the relationship between the daughter and the, the girl she meets at camp, yeah. they're, they're, they're pretty they're coded as they're in a lesbian relationship mm-hmm. early on in life, um, which I don't know if that's neither here nor there, but I think that's kind of interesting that it's not played super obvious. Um, the other I think thing- that's another sort of mystery is like, is this why they've fallen out? Because yeah. you know at the beginning of the movie that they've fallen out. She starts the movie writing the letter or the mm-hmm. journals, as it turns out, to her daughter. Um, so you know that something's going to happen where these two aren't together. And so you're always watching the daughter for what that is going to be. And yeah. it doesn't tell you until the end of the movie. So, Or actually, it doesn't tell you at all. So. The other thing I was going to bring up is is the the symbolism that kind of runs throughout it. Um, in addition to the sea, there's, and and I kind of wondered why they didn't push it just a little bit harder, but um, they do kind of flash back to it a little bit towards the end, real early on in the fl- the original flashbacks bef- before she, while she's on the train with the guy that runs out and commits suicide, she looks out the window and there's a really gorgeous shot of a stag. I think it's probably digitally rendered by a computer but it's still a really well done shot um and you know that kind the of worst symbolizes- shot in the movie is uh her standing in front of the stormy sea man is that that one's bad like j- just the lighting is is bad it 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 looks like 
a person standing in front of a cardboard cutout where there's no window pane in it. And then there's like a TV behind it with a storm on it. Yeah. Well, anyway, so the, the suicidal, I'm not sure what the stag was specifically supposed to represent, but you know, they kind of hinted that she was almost suicidal because she, she's writing, like she talks about like when an addict comes back and, and, uh, gets back into whatever drug they're into and it's fatal for them the second time after years of being away from it. And she's talking about, you know, getting back into the mystery of why her daughter left her and and that grief and how that's, I I was kind of expecting there to be a little bit more drama around that uh, almost suicidal drama. Um, So I was kind of surprised that that didn't come back all the way around full circle. Like she kind of staggers in front of a bus and that's about the end of that. But, Yeah, I think uh, the stag and the suicidal guy on the train are connected. And I think what they're doing there is they're saying here was her first chance to connect to somebody who is dealing with grief. Mm. And instead of that, she went and hung out with the guy that was giving her the sexy vibes instead of the guy that like kindly introduced himself and said, I thought maybe we could talk. And she's like, "Eh, how about no? And then yeah. he goes and kills himself. Yeah. Um, but then I also thought that uh, the guy that she's in a relationship with at the end of the movie, that she like kicks out for a while and then he comes back and he's in the car with her at the end. I also thought he looked a lot like the guy on the train. <laughs> and I was like, did that guy come back? Was this all like a secret plot? Was Were both of those guys spies for like opposite parties? Did they both work for the cult? What's happening? I I think it's a good movie. I it's one of those that like I think it reveals itself slowly. You do have to kind of be in the right frame of mind. I mean, I think I have to be in the right frame of mind for any movie, honestly, but especially for one with subtitles and this amount of seriousness and drama, you can't come at it from like a you know it's not horror movie standpoint. Surface. And I'm not trying to like <laughs> say you guys like screw no, this I thought up it was or whatever, great. but I thought it was great. Yeah, I and it's kind of interesting to me because I wouldn't have expected this to be uh, one of Pedro's best movies, but I was I was digging through I think it was Vulture or one of those types of things online, and they ranked this one number two out of all his movies, mm. uh, with the the most recent one with uh, well it's not his most recent but Pain and Glory being the number one. So, yeah, which Pain and Glory? If you haven't watched Pain and Glory go watch it. It's, it's amazing. I haven't. Um, I think the only movie of his that I've seen before is bull bear or as we gringos would call it Volver, uh, with Penelope Cruz. I watched that back in the day. Um, but I don't feel like I was probably in the right mindset for that. Cause I didn't decide to dig into more of his catalog after that. He had tons of movies before and after that uh, in 2006. So. Well, and he's got, we were talking about too last night, he's got a bit of a melodramatic streak in him. So quite a few yeah. of his movies that we've seen before kind of have that borderline soap opera kind of thing going sometimes, which you see a little bit of here too. That's also just kind of Spain. Sure. Yeah. He loves women characters, female characters. Uh, almost mm-hmm. every single one of his movies has a really strong one, or it's almost all female characters in some of them. Um, That's all Volver is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Cool. Well, uh, Alicia, it is your turn to suggest a movie. What would you like for us to watch next? I'm going to pick Take Shelter. 
uh, which IMDb says, plagued by a series of apocalyptic visions, a young husband and father questions whether to shelter his family from a coming storm or from himself. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, take shelter. That sounds good. Not to be confused with both movies that came immediately to my mind, which are uh, Gimme Shelter. Yes. And... Uh, <laughs> Well, she had that written down. You I know, give me shelter. Down. I'm like, the Rolling Stones yeah, movie? That's what like, you're going to no, guess? I'm not <laughs> I'm like, you know, trying to like be specific. And then there's like another, there's a movie called, I think it's called Give Me Shelter. Oh, um, yeah. I don't know that I, one. I'd have to look into it. There's, there's a really cool little indie movie I saw a few years ago that has something to do with shelter like that. It might actually just be called Give Me Shelter, like the Rolling Stones movie, and that's why... Nobody knows it when I talk about it, but um, yeah, that sounds great. Um, thanks everybody for the discussion on Julieta. We'll see you on the next deeply discussing movie podcast.